look and I find myself in the same situations, oftentimes saying the same things, realizing some of the experiences that they went through, and now I see it from their vantage point. Today we're going to look at a, a biblical character. We're going to look at one that finds himself in some life situations that his father was in. But he finds himself in a, in a, in a greater circumstance. He finds himself in a line of promise. Will you turn to Genesis 25 with me, please? Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and we're going uh, about 25 chapters in. If you have one of our pew Bibles, it might be around page 17. Or 37, if you have the other pew Bible. Thank you. So it reads, Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Ashurites, the Litushites, and Lemites. Leumite, excuse me. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. Before I reflect on those scriptures, will you guys pray with me? God, um, you are in control of all things. And I pray that right now you would allow my tongue uh, to be submitted to you, my heart, my spirit. Father, let me celebrate you and let these people hear your words. Remove me so that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have in these first five verses some names that uh, most of you guys have named your children, right? <laughs> but we see, we see in these first five names David excuse me, Abraham's impact continuing on. And it starts with his death. You know, he, he marries Keturah, but, but, but now we're starting to see, okay, there's this, this idea that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations. Well, now you're starting to have a descriptive marker tell you who those nations are and what that lineage is going to look like. So these aren't mere names. They're markers towards the recognition of a promise, of a promise. And, and, and this promise isn't something that's, you know, abstract. We're giving proof in the names of those individuals who were written before that these nations are going to start flowing. In, 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 in chapter 15, verse 5, uh, it talks about him being the father of many nations. Now, Abraham's going to be a man who God says, you're not going to be able to count how many descendants you have. Can you count the stars in the sky? That's how many descendants you'll have. So now we're starting to see that fulfilled right here in the beginning of 25. But we also see back, um, we also see that Abraham is, is, is while elevated as this man who nations are going to flow from, we also see that he's also a man who dies like the rest of us. A great man, a, a man who the, we are his lineage. But he too must die. 
And it reminds us of how, and I think Eric shared last week, how beautifully significant you can be in the lives of your children, in the lives of your friends, in the lives of so many others, even in, even in how you bring God glory. But someday you die. And the question is, does God continue being glorified even after you pass? Today I want to say yes. Because while we are significant, God being glorified isn't simply contingent upon us. I pray this never happens, but if, 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 if you stop walking with God today, he will continue to be glorified. So it's a, it's, a, it's a shock to our system to know, man, he loves us, creates us in his image, but he is the one who will always remain on the stage. At some point, we exit, exit stage right. So as we read on, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, sent them away from his son, uh, sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last, died at an old age, and an old man and full of years. He was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac, Ishmael, buried him in the cave Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittite. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahi Roy. <laughs> Now, there's a, a, a couple of, of key markers here. He, uh, he gives gifts to his concubines. Now, I know that everybody's like, like, like what? <laughs> how, can, how can he be trying to bless a woman who's like uh, uh, an adulteress, a woman who's additional to his wife? Well, in, in that culture, while concubines... Concubines were common. It wasn't as if you were like um, uh, doing something that everyone wasn't aware of. The wife knew of who you were. The only difference was that the wife had supreme say. So concubines were indeed legally married. They just were legally second, you know. And and it's 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 unfortunate, but as Abraham is caring for for. All of these, he doesn't simply say, okay, I'll bless my wife. He also blesses the others as well. He also blesses his concubines um, with a gift. But he sends them east far, and we've seen in the Bible that when, when we say sending someone east, it usually doesn't look good. I mean, when you see Adam and Eve leave the Garden of Eden, they travel east. When you see... Um, a number of different examples where you see that happening. Um, but he lived to be 175, uh, breathed, breathed his left, and died in old age. Um, this, this, this concept from a, a scholar named Hilton, he's just trying to show us and give... Hold on one second. Brother Jim. Yes, please.
Let me tell you guys, what he's doing is not odd. You're in an environment where we want you to learn how to live for Christ. So if you have a question, please ask it. And what he said. Yep. Yep, exactly. So so what we're going to get to later and what I'll just go ahead and bring it up now is the difference between um, predestination and free will. And that God has chosen us as his perfect, perfect people, but we have free will to sin. So Abraham does commit a sin by having these women in the house. But it doesn't stop him from being God's chosen man. And we'll see later the importance of that rule, because, I mean, even if he had no concubines, Abraham takes his wife and allows her to to potentially sleep with another man, puts her in the arms of Pharaoh. Still God's chosen man doing something stupid. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. It was it was dumb. But that was great. Great question, Jim. Sister Betty. A question that I'm not sure I have the time to get into or if I have the clarity at this moment to present from a truth standpoint. So can I make sure that I get back to you and the rest of this body to answer that thoroughly? The question is, did the Ten Commandments nullify the Oh, definitely. Definitely. But the Solomon, I will also get back to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, so what we have here is, is, is quick insight into, into the, the, the perspective of the eternal. I mean, this, this, is an, this is an equation that's going to happen with other God-centered people. Jacob, David. So it, it says he breathes his last, then he dies. But then he's gathered to his kin. So how can you be gathered to your kin after you die? It's a reference to eternal life. It's a reference to like passing away, but now being in, in communion, in community with those who are God's chosen. And you'll see that same kind of equation referenced for different, different people. Um, being gathered to one's kin prior to being buried implies a belief in the afterworld. Even in death, uh, family solidarity is not broken. And we, I mean, we all know that. I mean, when you go to funerals, you don't go simply with grief. I pray you don't if you're a Christian. You go also knowing that that person is now fully in the presence of God and you someday shall join them there. So it's not simply grief. There's also a joy that's present, and it's an interesting contrast to have, but one that I pray we all experience even when we lose loved ones, loved ones that know the Lord. But there's a promise that's fulfilled, too. In 1719, God said, yes, your wife Sarah will bear a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac 
whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. So there's a there is first a promise that Abraham's going to have many nations. As as many as the stars. But then there's a promise that he's going to have a son by which he does it through. And that, too, was fulfilled. I started off by talking about my kid and my daughter imitating me. But I but I hope that you see there's nothing more important, even as we go through this text, than us imitating God and us recognizing that God's promises are true. And that's what you're going to continue to find throughout the theme of Genesis. Promise made, promise fulfilled. Promise made, promise fulfilled. But it doesn't always happen in the way that we might, we might imagine as we read on. Now, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Ishmael. This is, Ishmael is a gentleman that was born from the concubine, Hagar, whose Sarah's slave, Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the son of Ishmael, listed in the order of their birth. Neboath, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Nefesh, and Kedima. These were the sons of Ishmael. And these are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died. And he was gathered to his people. Remember, saw that, saw that same flow before as we talked about Abraham. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go toward Ashur. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. So it, it's, uh, we've got Ishmael, and it, it's, it's tough to look at Ishmael because what you want to do, God bless you, what you want to do as you're a, a human reading through this text is say, but God, is it Ishmael's fault? His dad slept with a woman that was a concubine, and they brought forth Ishmael. So why doesn't he get the promise? God, why doesn't, why doesn't, why, is it his fault? What did he do? Why isn't he the chosen one? And, and, and I, I want us to begin to wrestle with the, the bigger picture of, can God do something that you wouldn't and it still be good? Can, can God select someone and say, you know what, Pharaoh, I'm going to use you to advance my kingdom. Your heart's going to be hardened, and that still be good. Can, can God use an Ishmael, a man who, who he says, you are going to have hostility with your brethren for all of Forever. It's, it, there's going to be tension that always exists. And that God still be good. It, it's one that I can't, I can't give you in a, in a quick sermon. But it's one that we've got to begin to wrestle with to say, is my perspective better than yours, God? The, 
Okay, we're going to go there. I want to read the scripture, and then we'll go right there. It, it, it talks about a firstborn here. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived. And, and let, me, let me pause, give you guys. So firstborn is really a really important theme. You see, the firstborn was the one who was in charge of all of their children, all their siblings' children, all of their grandkids, all of their sons' daughters. So all family they were responsible for. And there was a special relationship when you went from firstborn to being inherited the role of the father. But you had a special relationship with the father that no other sibling had because he's grooming you to take over the inheritance. Everything that's been worked for, the most valuable asset, every life within this family is going into your hands. So there's a there's a connection there like none other. And why does why does God choose to allow his promise to move forth through a firstborn designation? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I guess I guess God could have chosen to to. Every person born with a six toe, I mean, I, his methodology behind why he chooses who he chooses and the method that he wants to choose it in. I, I will never understand it. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's appropriate, though, for us to question why. But but for us to really well, excuse me, it's it, yeah, because we are created as an image of God. So how can we, the created, really question the creator and say we know what's better? It, it's um, so the, the concept of firstborn is very important. Why do why do you choose a firstborn? He, he's choosing this first. Well, Romans nine. God bless you. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father, Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls she was told the older will serve the younger. That's, that's very important because it strips away one of them being good. It strips away like one of them being like earning it and deserving it. Just that it was written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Care. Yeah, yeah. Nope, you're right. He is technically the firstborn. And I'm, you guys are giving me such great questions to reveal everything that's coming. So I'm going to move on. 
Because it's going to be... No, why hold on? Guys, like, what Christ and what God is trying to show us is that you you can't predict how God moves. Yep. According to the world, it's supposed to be Ishmael. Or it's supposed to be... You can fill in the blank with so many biblical characters. Wasn't supposed to be David. But what God is trying to show us is that it wasn't supposed to be you. It wasn't supposed to be me. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. You're not smart enough. The environment of Christian growth wasn't great enough that your parents provide for you to just get it. None of us deserve it. And it flips the world upside down when we walk in and we love Jesus. We are now the elect. But if you would have looked at the track record, we weren't supposed to be. And we we think of this as a New Testament concept. It's not. It's not. You're going to see from here. The second one coming out of the womb ends up being the chosen one. Not consistent with the birthright. Correct. But yet yet and still the inheritor. Ishmael's lineage is similar to Isaac, but what's missing? I mean, Ishmael has a line, correct? He's got a, 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 a bunch of new descendants. He even has 12. For all those number of people that are like, oh, look at 12. That means his God, he's got 12 too. What's missing? God's covenant. He doesn't say, Ishmael, you receive my blessing. He gives, the, yes, Ishmael receives some gifts and and things of that nature, but not God's covenant, not set apart as, as the chosen one to continue the promise. We're going to read uh, verses 19 through 21, and I thought I'd put them up there, but I didn't. Would you guys read with me? This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. It's, it's, it's quite interesting how he began to find himself in the same position that his dad was in. You know, it's not, a, it's not here in the text. It's nowhere. This is nowhere written. But I've, I've got to imagine at some point Isaac says to dad, like, dad, your faith is great. <laughs> you, 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 you believe like none other. Tell me why you believe. What evidence do you have of all these promises? And he just looks at his son and says, I have you. you. You are the fulfillment of a promise, son. Every day I get to look in your eyes, I'm reminded of God's fulfillment. You know, so now you have, you have Isaac in the same situation 
prayed for this woman. God, I, I sent, sent out people to scout and find a godly woman. You brought her back. Work ethic like none other. 250 gallons, y'all. Y'all remember that from last week? Work ethic, you know. Sister dearly loves the Lord. And now she's barren. And she's going to be barren for, for 20 years. And, this, and this, is, this, is, this is one of those times where you've, you've, got to, you've got to sit back and say, Lord, like, give me insight into his experience. Because here you have a man who is the fulfillment of a promise. He's seeing, he's received blessing from his dad who inherited and had so much created by God that that inheritance has been transferred over. And now his faith is not lining up with his reality. So I believe that you can give me a son through my wife. But for 20 years, I might have to pray it. I may have to wait until what I believe and am trusting you for is realized. And some people take that concept and they manipulate it. And they say, if you just believe enough, it'll happen. You can believe it into existence. Don't believe that. That's a lie. We cannot control the hand of God. I do think, though, that there's beauty in being persistent towards God and knowing, Lord, you have control over all things. You can say no at any time, but I'm going to trust you for this. And some of you guys are in that, in that agonizing place because that place isn't necessarily a joyous place. Some of you guys are, are married to people that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for them to fall in love with God. And you're saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you for it even though the reality hasn't happened yet. Some of you guys are fighting illnesses or have family members fighting illnesses where you're saying, Lord, I am going to have faith that you can heal me. You can use medicine. You can use anything. But it's not my reality yet. A, a, a spouse Lord, you say you will, you, will, you will provide my every need, and I'm trying to be diligent in my spending. I'm not being lavish, but every time I save a penny, a new emergency comes up. God, can you help me have stability in my home? I haven't realized it yet, but going to trust you for it. And we don't see, we don't see Abraham give us Hey, here's five quick steps to get your blessing. Like, none of that. What does he do? He intercedes on behalf of his wife. We, we, don't, we don't get if she was a woman that like spent every day praying for it. and We don't, we don't know what was going on. What we do know is he prayed on her behalf. And, and I want to encourage our body. I mean, it... Some realities take 20 years, 100 years. There are, there are promises in the Bible that sometimes don't, the promised land. I mean, we have people that you don't necessarily get to experience it. Doesn't mean it doesn't come to pass. 
You know, and I, I remember my grandmother, who I loved dearly, would, would pray for our family. And um, and she passed away and didn't get a chance to see, like, all of our family, like, not all, some of our family growing in Christ. But, but like, she never got to hear me preach. You know, the first time I preached a message was at her funeral. But I believe that I believe that, that that promise came to bear as members of my family have have come to know Jesus. I'm so thankful, man. I'm so thankful that Abraham got to experience it here. But don't let don't let your hope, don't let your trust in God's promises be bearing on whether you get to experience it in a timeline that you think. Doesn't mean you can't have faith. Doesn't mean you can't ask God to do a great work in the here and now. But friends, let us not have doubt when we don't see it come to pass. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. I, I, I leaked it earlier, but here's a few other examples where the purpose that God has is accomplished by the younger. Again, contrary to common culture of that day. We are contrary to common culture of this day. Cain, older brother. Seth, you know, why we start with the older? Did you see Cain? If you don't know, Cain is like depicted as as evil. He kills his younger brother, right? He's like, like, it's, it's not good. It's not good. And you don't want the bloodline flowing through that brother. Seth. Younger, um, chosen one. Isaac, younger, chosen one. Rachel, younger, chosen one. Judah, David. Reversals are a reoccurring theme of God's sovereign plan of grace. God's blessing is not a natural earthly, earthly right like that of the firstborn. Rather, God's blessing is extended to those who have no other claim to it. You can't earn this one. Not, no, no, no. You, you don't have the accolade to have you deserving to be chosen. But the beauty of it is that we are. Is that even though, if you look at our stat sheet, we probably shouldn't be chosen, he picks us anyway. 
chose you anyway. Allow, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that, that concept, friends, is one that, um, that is very difficult for us as Christians to really accept. That he loves us fully and has chosen us to be his. The inheritance piece doesn't stop. You are an inheritor. You get, as a Christian, you get to be a part of God's kingdom. But we as people, even though we can have a salvation experience, can, can at times like quench that reality. So we say, God, I know that you are real and I know that you love me fully, but I got this mess. So once I deal with this mess, then you'll allow me to be dot, dot, dot. So if I, so if I, if I deal with my attitude, then you'll use me for your kingdom. If I deal with my low self-esteem, then you'll use me to share your gospel. And it's, and it's a slippery slope. It's easy to call out, right? When you, and the, 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 the easiest one to recognize is like when, when you're dating. You know, you hear guys say, well, until I get my finances right, God's not going to send me a wife. Or a girl say, well, until I do this, God's not going to send me a I think there's, there's, a, there's a clear premise for sin. If you're sinning in your life consistently, then I think you need to deal with sin. But even as you read in the Bible, like you find God taking sinners and making them his. So so what what lie are we believing that there's something that we can do to create more of God? God wants to say, you know, with your attitude and everything, I want you to work on it. But will you be used for my kingdom? With your, with your broke self owing everybody, can you be used for my kingdom? You know, like, like what, what, what criteria disqualifies you? Nothing. Because no criteria gives you his grace. But, 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 but it's good in Sunday service. It's tough to be reminded of that when, when, when you go in front of a, a big group to speak or you're at home as a single mom with the kids, or a stay-at-home mom with the kids, and you think of insecurities or, or whatever. We all have insecurities. Do we allow them to have power in the way that they stop us from being able to be used for his kingdom? How long will you wait? How long, how long will, you, will you allow whatever that is to stop you from saying, nope, with every insecurity, every inability, I'm going to be used by you, God. Start there. Don't, 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 don't confuse yourself and, so what do I need to do next? Start there. I will be used by you, God, with every inability, every insecurity, want to be used by you. 
The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for the wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, God bless you, cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. <laughs> Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So what's, what's the offer, y'all? It's, it's, it's your birthright for some soup. You know that inheritance you got, bruh? Let me get that for a bowl of Campbell's. <laughs> Sound crazy a little bit, doesn't it? A, a, a little bit. I mean, I'm sorry, y'all. When I was reading this, I, I went hood because I'm like, hold on. Now Esau is out, a hunter, running in the woods. Jacob's in the house at the tent. So I'm out working hard. I'm probably swole, a little diesel, and you stay in the house all the time. I'm going to beat you up and take the soup, homie. What about that? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. I was just like, what? Like, really? <laughs> but, and for anybody who stayed in the house a lot, that's not a, that's not a bash on you. I love you. I'm just saying. He was hungry, about to die. He had no choice but to give in, right? Wrong. Wrong. It, 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 it's that, it's that, that same sense of like, you know, um, when, 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 you, when you run home after playing a sport or you've been, you know, working all day and you get home and you just want a bite to eat and you say, man, I'm dying over here. Like, you know that if you don't get that meal, you're not physically going to die. He knows, too. You know, he knows, too, that that that. But but that hunger is is moving him to act irrationally. To act irrationally. I want us, if you can, please turn to Mark four. Because we have we have uh, there's a. There's a tension between temptation and necessity. He's being tempted greatly by this food, but it's, it's, not, it's not a necessity that he have this in order to keep living. And I, I take you there. Excuse me, guys. I'm remembering when Jesus was fasting for 40 days. And thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Luke 4.
Luke 4. In some Bibles, it is page 727. And in the other Bible, it might be... What was that? 1595. Amen. Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Just, just a reminder that, that the Savior, the God that loves us dearly, has experienced everything that we have. It's no, nothing that's uncommon to him. I, I want you to make sure that you, you get that, that, man, the dude was hungry. But for all of the inheritance that was present, he didn't have to sacrifice it. Back to Genesis. As you read that, as we just read those verses, which, which, which brother do you begin to side with as you look at Esau and you look at Isaac? I mean, my natural inclination is to begin to resonate with Esau. I'm like, man, looks, looks like you were taking advantage of, bruh. You were hungry. Your brother seemed to be plotting, maybe. I don't know. But as soon as you said soup, he said birthright. So my natural inclination is to move towards Esau and feel sorry for him. It seems like the Bible, though, doesn't err on that side. Because this, this is an inheritance that's passed down from a godly dad to his son. The, the, the Bible seems to, to convey that you don't sell out this inheritance for soup. You don't despise this inheritance. And in doing so, even before, even before this was played out, it revealed Esau's heart. So as it says that 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 before Esau and Isaac were even born, Isaac was the chosen one. Maybe you think God knew his heart. Maybe you think God knew what was going to happen, how this was going to play out. I personally don't believe it was God controlling Esau, forcing him and making him do each little step. I don't believe God works in that way. But I also believe, I do believe that God will preserve his chosen line so that the promise will be fulfilled. And he knew even before, the, before time that, that Isaac was going to be the chosen. Jacob, excuse me. Thank you, sweetheart. Help me out. See? Helpmate. Amen. That Jacob was going to be the chosen one. It's, so does it matter if you're the firstborn? It, it matters greatly. Not simply for them, but for us too. And there's a, there's a, a firstborn that takes place that's an, a, a, a heavenly lineage, not just a physical one. Hebrews 12 says this in the 23rd verse. 
to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that, break, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. But verses 16 and 17 say this. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. The Bible speaks clearly of Jesus being the firstborn of God and how, yes, there was this beautiful Abrahamic line of people who were chosen by God, but Jesus circumvents that and is, and is the true chosen one, just as, just as Jacob circumvented Esau Jesus, even before Abraham was created, is the true firstborn. The question is, are you chosen and a part of Christ? Able to be a part of that firstborn and also able to be a part of the inheritance. See, the the promise matters greatly because of the inheritance. It matters greatly. And you have, to, you have to wrestle with in your heart, where am I? Have, I? have I been chosen by God? Am I a part of Jesus? Am I a part of this, this firstborn lineage? Nope, you probably wouldn't have picked me out of a lineup. Look, look at my history. Look at all the wrong I've done. Probably wouldn't, have, probably wouldn't have guessed that it would be me. But guess what? The world didn't guess that it would be Jesus. The world didn't think that a king would be born in a manger. So many ways that he changed the expectations of what the the great Messiah would look like. And yes, he was the chosen one. I pray that this, this reality of God choosing you all the time, giving you free will, like we said, Abraham was chosen had free will within it to be a knucklehead. How do you sit today? As one recognizing and, and living a life of worship where you recognize God has chosen me and I, get, I every day can make a choice to celebrate what he has done. Or have you not accepted that yet? Have you, are you a person who may be wrestling with who God is and whether, whether you believe in him, whether you've been chosen? We want to be a community that gives you the opportunity to have clarity on that. There's no way you should be continuing throughout life wondering if you are a part of the great inheritance. My friends, there's no greater question to ask. Are you a part of God's chosen people? Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you are beautiful, and uh, I think the story is clear. 
Jacob shouldn't have been chosen. (laughs) Not by the world's standards, but neither should we. And God, we are so thankful for the grace that you extend to us. So thankful, Lord, for the, the patience that you have with us. Let our view of you be so great. Let us not not live out of our insecurity, but live out of our thankfulness for being chosen by a, a God who's merciful. Lead this community so that we may equip one another to live for you. See your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.